I'm Danny Levy, and this is Digital Transformation and Leadership. Today, I'm delighted to say we have one of my favourite retailers on the show, Outland Denim, an Australian fashion brand that was founded as an avenue for the training, employment and career progression for women who had experienced exploitation. Outland Denim's story began about 10 years ago when founding CEO James Bartle went to the cinema to see the film Taken. While a fictional film, it was an introduction to an industry that still exists today, the illicit $150 billion human trafficking trade, also known as modern slavery. As James began to research, he soon discovered the complexity of the problem and its prevalence all over the world. No nation is untouched. He had the opportunity to travel throughout Southeast Asia and saw what the problem looked like on the ground. James discovered that in addition to sex trafficking, trafficking for labour was also a common threat within vulnerable communities. He learned that once a woman had been rescued and reintegrated into the community, a sustainable career path is vital for securing her future. Outland Denim was founded to offer that sustainable career path. So can the fashion industry be the solution to some of the world's most pressing global, social and environmental issues? We'll hear some answers and a whole lot more when we chat to today's guest, James Bartle, CEO at Outland Denim. It's coming up next. So James Bartle, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Yeah, thanks, Danny. I appreciate you having me. No, no, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. So, so just to get us started, and, and before we kind of get into your role at Outland Denim, I wanted just to talk a little bit more about your entrepreneurial spirit. How did your experiences prior to Outland Denim help you succeed? Yeah, gosh, um, I, would, I would say that the different jobs and you know, attempts at uh, small businesses that I've had in the past have all um, been used in uh, educating me ready for something like Outland Denim. Was there a moment kind of that kind of sparked it all for you? Obviously, I know that you spent your time traveling around Southeast Asia, you know, that this had a big influence on you. Uh, you got the opportunity to see what the problem really looked like on the ground. So, I mean, you know, I'm really interested to know more about this and, you know, what specifically it was about that trip that led you to where you are now. Um, well, I mean, look, it was definitely a moment. It was, um, I guess, a slow educational process of learning more that, this problem existed of humans being trafficked, sold, exploited in a range of ways. And um, then having the opportunity to travel with a rescue agency into Southeast Asia and seeing a young girl for sale um, was, was 100% the life-changing moment that I needed um, to be able to look and, um, you know, look for this opportunity to be a part of the solution. And so we set about trying to create a business that um, addressed this issue at its at its root and um and what what kind of sparked the the trip into southeast asia initially well initially i'd watched the liam neeson film taken and um just although a fictional film there was some script at the end that just said that these things really do happen around the world and i was just outraged that that this could could actually happen i was so ignorant to the reality of um the trade of human beings and um uh, over the next couple of years, learned a little more about it and eventually um, ended up at a music festival where mm. I was um, riding as a freestyle motocross rider and came across this um, agency that were there looking for ambassadors and supporters and um, they asked if I wanted to come and see the problem and it was on that trip that, yeah, I did. I saw that little girl and it was just, yeah, it's 
just not something you can really imagine when you see, you know, somebody placed into that kind of situation where their life changes forever. You know, she was very clearly scared and intimidated to be where she was and, um, you know, walking away that night just wondering, you know, what's happened to her and so many others that have found themselves in a similar position. So yeah. that was enough motivation to start. And, um, and since then, there's been so many more stories of, you know, people who are really hurting and just need need the opportunity to, you know, um, have a, a different life. And um, that keeps driving us, I guess, to continue on. Mm. We looked at it from an economic point of view and we, we looked and we, we could see quite clearly that it was um, an issue with people being made vulnerable due to the, the um, country they may have been born into, you know, the financial situation of the family. Um, but poverty was, was usually um, at the root of many of these problems. And so we knew that if you could come up with some kind of economic, economic solution, then potentially we've got um, something that would have some real genuine power in addressing the issue. Um, we discovered over the first few years of trial and error that um, it really did have a, a lot of power in changing somebody's life. And we just then continued on trying to um, build and perfect the model. Um, we still haven't perfected it. We're still building mm -hmm. and adapting and learning and changing all the time. But um, but what we have worked out is that there is four major areas. The first thing, it, it's opportunity to um, vulnerable people, um, women that may not get this kind of opportunity otherwise. And so by giving them um, the opportunity to come into a workforce like this, they come in, then they get paid a living wage is where they start. That's their base, which is the second thing, which is really important. Uh, living wage meaning they get to live a lifestyle like you and I get to enjoy where they can um, have health care, save for an education, mm -hmm. just have savings, um, go out for dinner on Friday night. It's it's just the, the basic level of living and standards that, that we all expect um, as the base level. Um, uh, we, we see that they should have the exact same. So that's the next thing. And then we go on to training. And so we train them into every element of producing the product. So it means that they're independent when they leave, if they ever need to leave. Um, the Outland Denim workforce. It means that they um, become highly skilled seamstresses, which means that um, independence follows them based on the fact that they can go and um, translate those skills into another um, workforce somewhere. Uh, and then education. Education being a really, really powerful part of it in that um, there might be um, learning gaps that they've had around finance, let's say, and it could be household budgeting. So they might be earning more money now than they've earned before. So how do they manage that and how are they going to be able to utilize the income they got to be able to, one, pay off by bad debts of the past, save for the future, and save for all those things that, um, uh, I guess, means that a household can function um, in, a, in a healthy way and thrive. So um, there's those things, languages, women's health, a, a range of different things that um, we'll train on. And that's just part of their work day. So they'll come to work and, you know, sometimes it'll be, you know, some hard yak or in, um, you know, you're in full swing production and then other days there'll be no production. They might be in a um, seminar learning about, you know, it could be women's health or a self-defense course or something else that we've been able to organize. So, you know, if you combine all of those things, I guess really the, the model is that um, just equip them with the things that they may not have had. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can give them the things that they didn't have to be successful, they'll be successful on their own. And that's really the key thing with our brand is that, um, we are not going in there and saving the day, um, and not at all. Um, in fact, they are the ones that are saving uh, and changing their own futures is because of their own hard work and determination. You don't really realise until you get into a situation like uh, like this where you are working closely with um, those that have been disadvantaged based on 
um, the country that they're born into, or you know, um, you know, some of the challenges that they face. I mean, and we've we've got them here too, in, in a, even here in Australia. You know, we've got um, lots of people groups that that have these challenges, and so I think really the motivation for us it isn't just Cambodia. We love Cambodia, we love the people of Cambodia, but we just love people. Can you tell us about the early days? You know, yeah. how steep was the learning curve, and yeah. maybe some of the challenges you faced, and yeah. always good to know what you got wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably easy to talk about what we didn't get wrong, but um, than, than what we did. But um, look, we we got uh, so many things wrong, but I think it's um, it's those learnings in those early days that really have given us the um, the grit to just to you know um, stay tucked in here and continuing on the journey, you know, on the path to you know um, try and fulfil and see that vision come to reality. Um, we spent the first six and a half years developing the business model, so that meant everywhere from learning how to make a gene following our supply chains, learning about supply chains, you know, the social injustice that was occurring within supply chain and then how do you address that and what can we and can we not address and the environmental issues associated with that and the way that cotton is produced, the water that's used, the dyeing process, chemicals used in the process of finishing. Um, and so there's been so many steps along the way of like of learning and I went into this entirely inexperienced in the fashion industry, um, had no background in it and um really didn't understand what I was getting into but had to learn as fast as I could and um, about six and a half years into the journey we felt we were ready to launch the brand we'd been able to prove on a social level that if a woman came and worked within this model she would get herself out of poverty she then in turn her family um, would get themselves out of poverty as well and the the social impact was greater than we even envisaged it could be um, an environmental side we knew that we had been able to come up with uh, um, the best ways of processing the product um, that was available at the time and would continue to evolve in that space and invest into being able to create new ways of uh, producing denim um, and reducing the environmental impact as a result of it. And always with one goal in mind is that we create a product that um, is has a completely circular model in that um, it leaves the world and the people in a better place as a result of having created it than if we didn't create it. And that's our goal. That's what we're still aiming for and heading toward. Um, and so then we launched our brand in um, uh, the end of 2016, and that was, that was an incredible experience for us. We um, took it to the market and got some pretty early traction with um, the media. Um, we then we launched actually with only um, one lady skinny and one men skinny. They were both black. Um, we launched in Queensland, Australia, in the hottest summer in the uh, past hundred years. You know, and you know, lots of people say how stupid. I say that was just <laughs> eager. Um, that was enthusiastic, and um, you know, we had a product and we wanted to sell it. We were proud of it, and we were able to prove that people wanted our product as well. They were, they were um, engaged by the story, the impact. And I think we're all, especially in a time like this, we're all really striving and wanting something that um, we want purpose, meaning and hope. And this brand really brought that home to not only our seamstresses in Cambodia, but to our customers here in Australia and now in the, in Canada and the U S as well. So we, we really saw that it was the right timing to come to the market. Um, we'd spent a lot of years in development and to launch when we did, I think, was just, it was timed really well. And it wasn't because of great strategy. That was just um, just the way it turned out. Were there any kind of mentors or people you looked to for advice? Yeah, look, I think, I think we, um, it was scary, but 
you know, we're always looking and asking, um, you know, lots of people for advice and, you know, guidance on how to do things. I mean, I had a friend, local friend who is a um, uh, seamstress who had had her own brand and, you know, she went and she looked at what we're doing in Cambodia and gave advice and helped. And then we got experts in other areas and eventually we worked it out. But um, um, my gosh, the amount of trial and error that went into producing our, our genes and then when we actually had produced them our early Genes be, you know, <laughs> uh, probably far from good. Um, but, um, you know, we just had to keep keep striving to create something that had um, a beauty to it that um, people would want to buy. I mean, that, the ultimate goal is that we have a product people just want because of the product. Um, and then they can just be confident in the fact that this product was created that way. They're a big part of the solution. How important is it these days to be transparent about your manufacturing process? Oh, and it's so important to be entirely transparent. You know, if we're if we're not going to be honest with our customers about the way we produce, um, then you know we're we're no better than um, many of the others. I think it's really important for a number of reasons. One, so our customers can be confident that they're supporting a brand that they would endorse, um, and two, that we are. Um, uh, demonstrating that it's possible to produce and treat every aspect of sustainability, being social, environmental, and economic, um, in the way it deserves to be treated and measured in the way it needs to be measured to to mm-hmm. truly create something that's sustainable in the long term. Um, you know, we we focused on our foundations, you know, and that's become our USP, our unique selling proposition. And um, you know, if we hadn't have focused on our foundations and we just focused on um, you know, sales growth and revenue building, we we wouldn't have such a solid um, footing to yep. be able to weather the storms of things like COVID nineteen. You know, we've 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 experienced um, increase in sales. Of course, our wholesale sales have stopped, but in, as far as our online channel goes um, and channels go, we're it's only increasing. Um, you know, we we recently launched an equity crowdfunding campaign, which literally went live to the public 26 minutes ago. And, um, you know, it's we decided to continue on regardless of COVID-19. And we wanted to raise $2 million awesome. and we're sitting at 945000 as as we're speaking. I think, I think the fact that it demonstrates that the market is willing to spend even amongst some of the, well, amongst the, the toughest economic um, uh, stage that we've been in, you know, and, of our lives. We'll never experience mm-hmm. probably something like this again, hopefully. Um, yet, People are still spending, but they are spending on things that have meaning and purpose, things that have hope. And um, I think it's a clear message to all markets, all industries as to, you know, we really need to add value into everything that we produce. It can't be meaningless um, because people more now than ever before want meaning it's associated with everything that they're going to spend on. So, um, and denim being one of the greatest because it is such an amazing product that has so much meaning and um, and, and has a, a, an ability to, you know, be so meaningful in somebody's wardrobe and it's a product that people don't necessarily throw away um, and hopefully don't ever throw away. Do you think there are any pitfalls around brands trying to use sustainability as a marketing tool or, or maybe companies now looking to use that or, or get on the bandwagon given what's been going on globally recently? Look, I, I think there's always going to be greenwashing. Um, it's unfortunate because what it does is it washes out the, the brands that really are uh, doing things the right way and we'll have brands that really aren't um, claiming they are. I guess the way I look at it, it's a little more black and white in that, you know, if you have a sustainable 
a sustainable collection kind of highlights the fact that you're not a sustainable brand. Um, but if you just produce sustainable products, um, and when I say sustainable, I'm talking about mm. the social, environmental, and economic elements of it. Um, and, and the reality is none of us are 100% sustainable. That, that is the reality. That's the point in, in that we're at right now. Um, we, we all still have a long way to go on a, um, on a social level. I'm very happy with where we're at and the impact and the, how it changes lives in such a powerful way. But on an environmental level, um, you know, we're, we're up there with the best um, in what we're able to do, but we still need to solve some problems like textile waste, um, the emissions um, that, that come from the transportation and things like that. And so when people buy into our brand, that's what they're buying. They're buying the research. They're buying what it takes to be able to solve these issues. And um, we've always seen ourselves as that brand that, that's going to invest into these things to be able to create that ultimate long-term change, um, which hopefully influences an industry. And hopefully the industry then really gets on board to be able to produce responsibly. Um, and if we did do that, then what would the outcome be? And I think it would be pretty, um, pretty miraculous mm -hmm. to see. I think we'd be able to challenge real issues like that. And, I mean, do you, do you think online way. consumers specifically are more loyal to brands that are, you know, focused on the circular economy? And, and perhaps uh, you could explain uh, just a little bit uh, on what the circular economy means for our listeners out there that don't know. Uh, I think online it's much easier to be able to get the story. Uh, I think it's easier for a brand like ours to be able to go, hey, here's the product and here's how we made it. Um, whereas with a retail environment um, or bricks and mortar retail, um, it really comes down to the sales associate and how knowledgeable they are on the product. And often they've got so many different brands and products on their floor that it's very difficult for them to um, know in depth uh, all the details of that product. So, um, so it's, it's because of that that I think um, online retailing is is more powerful in communicating that particular part uh, or, or the story. Um, you know, creating a circular economy is um, is very very challenging because again we're addressing all three aspects of sustainability and um, what it really means is if we have a um, yeah well let's we'll use fabric as an example. Um, you know, we will have offcuts at the end of cutting our patterns. So what happens to those offcuts? They can't just be, dis, um, you know, thrown out. They can't be disregarded and um, not used for something. So how do we reuse those? For us, that means that they get donated into other projects that are able to use offcuts or scrap. Um, our, or there's another project we're working on that um, they're going to become very valuable to. Uh, but then they go through into other processes. So it'd be like... Um, water usage and so if we're using um, a liter of water um, how much do we lose in that process and how does that water once it's finished with get recycled reused repurposed um, uh, and then it's on every aspect of the uh, process of producing shipping selling that you really become a circular business and so we would say that we've got quite good circularity on our social aspect. We'd say that we're getting very close to our environmental. And as a result of both, both of those things, the economic um, impact of what we do on a local level, but also in the profiting country, um, you know, HQ countries, um, we're also able to experience um, the impact there to creating that, uh, a model that's closer to having circularity there. Outland Denim has also built up a reputation as a as a pretty good retailer for you know premium crafted denim jeans shirts jackets for both men and women i mean 
Uh, which which products mm. are you the most proud of um, that you've released in the last uh, several years, and and, and why? Oh, I'm I'm proud of so many of them, but there's a, there's a couple that I'm really really proud of, and one is um, from our latest State of Being collection, which is our um, uh, spring collection that's on it in our online store now, which is our Amy Jean. And the reason I'm really proud of it is because of the fibers used in producing it. Um, you know, it's it's the most sustainable product on an environmental level that we've ever been able to produce. Um, it's got a beautiful vintage wash. It's ladies' jean. It's a wide leg, um, really fashionable and in. Uh-huh. Looks looks like it's been around for thirty years. You know, it has real character, um, and and it's really hard to make ladies' jeans. I mean, we've got to focus on that, and this jean absolutely delivers and um, brings that um, uh, all the things that they're looking for home. I think. Um, and then, and, you know, down to like our Annie short made from the same fabric, which is a vintage, um, wash with a, you know, distressed hem on it. And that was designed by, um, actually our, our intern, uh, who became our warehouse person who had just finished her degree as a designer. And, um, that was the first product she worked on with our head designer to create. And in fact, you know, that product that she created then ended up on the shelves of Nordstrom. And so I just think, that's another one that, mm-hmm. that I'm really proud of just because of the hard work that she put into creating it. What a, what a great feat that is. On a recent trip to Australia and New Zealand, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, chose to wear your jeans on several occasions during her visit. What kind of impact did this have on your business? Oh, look, it's incredible. The fact yeah. that um, someone like her, like that's a, that's a dream, isn't it, of every brand to have somebody as, as amazing as her wear their product and so it's very it's a huge surprise for us to to see her actually hop off the aeroplane in our jeans and the media call it out um it it impacted our business in so many ways um obviously you know there's a sales spike and you see over those next um you know days and weeks um your increased sales which is amazing um it, look a few it, it seemed like the pro- if you had millions of dollars worth of the product mm-hmm. that she wore the exact product you would sell it all that's what it appeared like um we sold out within yeah within um a very short period of time and so therefore we you know within 48 hours we were sold out of that product um but we also had people willing to go on a waiting list to wait to buy the product and um, so that was that was a pretty incredible experience but um i think the greatest thing was the the media and so she exposed our brand to the world um that you know we had headlines everywhere in you know major publications talking about um, Meghan Markle discovering this unknown Australian denim brand. And then this brand has, um, uh-huh. you know, they've gone on to talk about the brand and the impact of the brand and why we exist. And so it was just, it was just absolutely incredible to experience what, what happened there. And, and even till today, you know, um, it, uh-huh. you know, I just saw, I think it was Hello Magazine in the UK, um, was spotted them in LA, um, hand delivering um, meals to people, I think, and um, you know they they were talking about what she was wearing, and they obviously didn't know what she was wearing, uh, what jeans they were, and I don't know what they were either. But even the magazine called it out as that <laughs> she's probably wearing um, her favorite Outland denim jeans, yeah. you know. Like so, it's just it's just really is quite incredible to see the the, the power that somebody like her can have to change the impact of a business like us. And then if we talk, talk about the greatest, greatest impact that uh, was um, a result of her wearing it was that we were able to employ 46 new seamstresses as a direct result of her wearing our product. So it was really powerful. And that speaks to the heart of who we are, the reason we exist. 
and incredible, um, you absolutely can't ask incredible. For any more than yeah. And uh, I, I guess Megan would have found yeah. the message on the yeah. on the pocket inside of her jeans, which is a signature of your product. Is is that written by the seamstresses who made the jeans? And maybe you can you can share for yeah. for the listeners out there that don't know what's inside the pocket a little bit more about the message. Yeah, yeah. Well, we um, originally we asked um, our seamstresses would they like to say anything to our, to the customer, um, the people who buy their jeans, and they. Um, a number of them put their mm-hmm. hands up and said, we'd love to be able to say thank you. Um, and so they they all wrote a thank you message. Um, uh, and then it was, um, in some cases, translated into English. Um, uh, some of it was broken English. And so it was just, it was made legible and um, printed on these pockets. And people now are able to, um, you know, buy a product and have a look on the inside and, and have a message directly from one of the ladies that made their product. Um, and, you know, we're in Fashion Revolution Week this week, and we're, um, you know, we are actually spinning it. It's like usually we talk about who made my clothes. Well, um, <laughs> it's now our seamstresses actually want to know who wore my clothes, you know, so who wore my jeans. And, um, and we've got customers um, talking about themselves and sharing with our seamstresses that, hey, I bought your jeans. I love your jeans. This is, you know, who I am and why I love the, the product. And, and, that's really powerful um, for our seamstresses. Okay, let's change gears now and get into a topic that's front of mind for everyone. COVID-19. It's caused so much devastation and disruption across the world and in Australia where you're headquartered. What impact has it had for Outland Denim and how have you had to adapt? Yeah, it's had a, um, a, a, an impact on us for sure. I feel like it hasn't been as severe on us as it has been on many others. Um, We've had to adapt. I mean, straight away, we, we looked at, well, what's the right thing to do from our staff from a safety perspective? Um, and we made the decision that um, as, as it started getting a little bit worse in the country mm-hmm. and we started to hear more cases, we decided to send our staff home. Um, so they've been, they've been getting paid, but they've, they've been for, um, just, just being at home. Um, but going, going forward... Um, you know, we've got to make some decisions on, you know, whether it's better for them to be at home, better for us to resume work. And we're really just monitoring that and hoping that we can get started again soon because obviously it has an impact on production and um, our ability to be able to grow as a brand and continue to deliver and deliver on time. Um, although every brand has been impacted by this, we would love to think that we're in a position to be able to, um, you know, uh, increase our sales and um, deliver once our wholesale accounts open back up and support them. Mm. I mean, one of the challenges that they're going to have is having stock and um, we would like to think that it's Outland stock that they can have on their shelves. So there's a, um, there's a, a, lot, uh, a lot to be done that has impacted us, but we've been able to pivot and adjust. And one of the major things that we've done is we've started um, taking on uh, production accounts. So we're going to be working with Karen Walker is the first one that we've, uh, we've talked about. Um, and that's, that's a really big move for us to be able to become mm-hmm. a supplier. And you've seen a, a growth in the online orders. Uh, how, are you, how are you balancing that? Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a growth in online. Um, and we were very mm-hmm. lucky. We had a great stock holding in the US, UK and uh, Australia. And so we've been able to continue to fulfill online orders. We've also got a stock holding in Cambodia. So we are still being able, we're able to freight out of Cambodia still. Um, you know, uh, we were just lucky that we had our warehousing and we've been able to scale down to have the right stock in the right places. 
Um, and, and therefore, we believe that um, we can weather this uh, without... Uh, yeah, well, we actually think we'll grow, we'll yeah. grow f- through this period of time. It's an interesting yeah. moment. Uh, I think especially, you know, for, for leaders, we've got some, some really tough decisions to make. Um, you know, everyone's, uh, everyone's a little bit more worried than they were before. Are there any questions you think that, that, that leaders need to ask themselves at the moment? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's um, in a time like this when fear can take hold and anxiety can rule your life. It's really coming back to what is it that you what is it that you need to do to be able to get yourself in a place where you can make good, wise um, decisions and um, prioritizing that. That's that's got to be at the top of the list. I mean, um, you know, right now more than ever, good leadership is what's going to get us through a period of uh, a tough period like this, and unfortunately it's really going to weed out um, the good and bad leaders and the pressure is going to really, um, the pressure's hard for everybody. So I think it's really just taking that time to to make sure that you're able to do what you can do mm. to have the support, whether that's a mentor, somebody to talk to, advice, you know. Um, don't be too pr- proud to ask somebody for advice or share your financial situation so that you can get some help and advice on how to move through it. Um, you know, like now more than ever, hey, we're all in the same boat. We're all struggling. We all need we all need to support each other. And that's one of the beautiful things that I have seen come out of this is that there's more brands willing to collaborate. I mean, I've got a consultant that I've used um, on and off, and every week he's calling me. Are you okay? Yeah. How are you doing? Is there anything I can help you with? And he's not looking for work. He's looking to support me. Um, and so that, that would highlight to me then that there's also a pretty great opportunity for us to be able to support and look to support others and you know i think when we get through this it'll be those that will be remembered um and that will create the opportunities for the future um this is an opportunity to gain trust from our community and if our community trusts us we will sell product um if they don't trust us we won't and so how do we how do we demonstrate to them our our true heart the real reason that we are here and in business. Um, could you give us a bit more detail on the e-commerce platform and how it's contributing to your success? Well, I think it's having a good, simple platform that um, has the ability to convert customers. You know, that's been a real challenge for us in converting customers. We get all of this really high organic traffic and didn't convert because we had a, a clunky um, system. And so over the past six months, we've been First of all, we had it analysed. We had somebody consult, look, and recommend on how to change those things to increase conversions. Um, we've, mm-hmm. we've literally only just finished implementing the first round of things. I mean, we've still got two more stages to go through, um, but they've already made it. Uh, it's already moved the needle, um, just creating those those simple fixes. We use a Shopify platform. Um, it's it's you know the the simplest um, way of creating a good um, online store. In my opinion, we've we've gone from having custom to just going to Shopify template and modifying, um, which is what we currently have. And you know, I'm mm-hmm. it works. You know, it really does. And and now it's about producing good content, um, trying to make it as easy for the customer to understand what the product is, the size, how it'll fit. And what risks is associated with buying it? Uh, is it free shipping? Do I ship it back for free if I don't if I don't like it or it doesn't fit? So trying to take all the risk out for customers, especially now, is really really important. And um, and then just making it um, as little as as few clicks as possible. There's the product. Mm-hmm. I love the product. I'm going to buy it. I don't have to stuff around too much to buy it. You know, we get it. We get a really high amount of um, direct 
uh, traffic, uh, organic traffic. And um, I think that's due to there's a lot of, uh, we get a lot of PR um, exposure, a lot of media exposure. And um, that's uh, what, what we put, uh, I guess, all that organic traffic down to. Um, and then um, we've also started doing some um, testing with our digital marketing and Facebook ads and, and things. And um, that's starting to pay dividends. We're starting to see a return on those ads um, only now. Um, so it's, it's really, I guess there's so many strings to the bow is that you, you can't, you just can't be um, hoping that customers are going to come organically through a press release that the media pick up and talk about. Um, uh-huh. you've got to, you've got to have these things happening out there to create that brand awareness. And then we need to move them in once they're interested to, um, our website and making that de- decision and converting them at that point to uh-huh. purchase a product. I think you've got to consistently be bringing new consumers in, but you can't forget your existing consumers. Your um, those that are customers that have been there, um, buying before, um, do they believe in your product? And if they don't, can we address that? What is it? Why don't they? Do you, do you think that we're going to see a fundamental shift, you know, through COVID-19 or, or just more in general in terms of how e-commerce is changing? Yeah. E-commerce, obviously it's only growing. It's only going to get become more powerful and more relevant to every business. Um, we, we will see obviously through, um, the, the development of technology and, um, you know, uh, 3D fittings and um, even 3D showings of products. So therefore, even in a wholesale market, not even having to necessarily go out there on the road and sell the product, um, that, you know, virtually that can be done. So there's there's so much development. And, awesome. you know, as much as I love the face-to-face, unfortunately, this this really is important. Um, this, this You need to invest into this side of your business. Um, I must say we haven't invested heavily into it ourselves, um, but this certainly become a real focus for us as a company now is to invest into using technology online to be able to create the most simple um, process for somebody to engage with our brand. I to ask you a few questions to kind of drill into to your personality and to your kind of your business mindset a little bit more. Uh, so I just, the first one was really around kind of the toughest decision you've ever, ever had to make in your career and why. Yeah. Wow. That is a very good question. (laughs) Um, there's been some tough decisions to make, but the hardest decision I've ever had to make, um, hands down would be Uh to fire, um, some staff members in Cambodia and, um, you know, just knowing that it was, um, destroying what was going on, um, with our culture and, um, creating, you know, a good in our brand. Um, that was really, really difficult. What was be. the worst startup business idea you ever had? <laughs> oh gosh, man. Um, I'm always thinking about business yeah. ideas, but I went to a seminar like three, four years ago. And I remember the speaker going, you know, um, one thing's for <laughs> sure. You can't chase two rabbits, um, and, and catch them. So, I, um, it really spoke to me and never since I've really focused on this and never really looked too far sideways. But I mean, I've had all kinds of ideas from, you know, I, I don't, wouldn't say it's the craziest, but, um, in fact, my wife brought me an article the other day and she showed me actually that this is being done. But years ago, I wanted to build, um, modular shipping containers to be able to ship anywhere in the world for disaster relief. Um, so you could set up industry again really quickly. Um, and being the, obviously the, the life source for communities to be able to continue on. And 
you know, I even I went down and we, we went through some ideas of planning and how we could do it. And obviously it was an expensive thing to fund, but, um, you know, you just imagine how natural uh, wouldn't be, you wouldn't dock them in Australia, but you could dock them, you know, um, on the Asian um, coastline somewhere and, mm-hmm. and then ship them to wherever, you know, a tsunami goes through somewhere where you ship these shipping containers in that are decked out, you know, yeah. you have hospitals, anything. Right now, like, I mean, they'd be incredible if you had um, shipping container hospitals and, yeah. So I, I love I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I one day want to work with shipping yeah. containers for sure. doesn't sound like a bad idea and, uh, to me. Doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any advice for, you know, other entrepreneurs out there that might be listening to the show? Um, I, you know what, I honestly think the, the greatest advice that I could give would be lean into the hardship, um, embrace it and learn everything from it that you can. Um, don't try and take the shortcut. Um, if you can, in those early years, embrace those challenges that you're going to come with no money or no support or, um, you know, just th- they're going to be endless, the challenges. But if you can embrace it and learn from it, you won't realize at the time you're learning from it, you'll look back and realize how much you did learn. Um, that's going to set you up for success. But if you shortcut the process, if you don't go through those challenges and learn how to adapt and, um, you know, uh, have the resilience um, amongst uncertainty and be able to remain peaceful and on track, then it's going to be very hard for you to be successful because the first wave that comes along is going to knock you off your feet. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, your wisdom and your insights with the digital transformation of leadership listeners and, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Awesome. You've been listening to the Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast. I'm Danny Levy, and next time we'll have another senior executive talking us through their leadership story and all things digital transformation. Until then, take care.